We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 16th day of September, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Engine alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm going to take the fifth on that one. You can't take the fifth. You're not an American citizen. Oh, damn. Um, in that case, I'm decidedly average. Thank you very much for asking. Good to have you on. It's good to see you. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive. Um, bit, uh, a bit annoyed today. Uh, at, at some news I found out about our local governor, but uh, yeah. Sorry to hear that. I thought it was because you you got rid of the beard. I mean, that's what I thought because you, you look like a totally different person almost. Yeah. I, you know, in, in solidarity with uh, my UK friends, I, I decided to shave it off because of the queen's death. And no, oh, I see. it was just time I, I, had, to, I, see. I had to shave. Yeah. I see. Marty, did you see that line of people that are queued up to uh, to see the uh, the queen uh, you know, before she toddles off to her final resting place? Five miles long, that queue is. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, I, I know of people who have been visiting the various rural estates um, to look at the flower, what's the words, you know, floral tributes given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Floral arrangements. The country is in mourning, but only people of a certain age, really. Everybody else seems to just be plowing on as normal, although <laughs> Morrison's, which is a supermarket chain, other sort of globalist uh, places to buy your food are also available. They put a sign on one of those uh, children's rides, uh, which they have in the entranceway to the, to the supermarket, saying this ride is out of action uh, as, um, you know, a tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, uh, it's just ridiculous. Everyone is falling over themselves. Not everyone, but a lot of people are falling over themselves to get as much grieving in as possible. You know, it's, it's like that that song from Evita. Oh, what a circus. Oh, what a show. You know, Argentina has gone to town over the death of an actress called Ava Perón. You know, morning all day, morning all night, falling over themselves to get all of the misery right. And as you know, I I was a full supporter of Her Majesty the Queen. And so I sort of know where these people are coming from to a certain extent. But I cannot get excited about the prospect of King Charles III, I'm afraid. Yeah, he's quite something. The people that were paying their respects in the last few days, I mean, of course, you had a speech by President Emmanuel Macron and a few others. The one person that weighed in on this, even though they weren't able to be there, they were there in spirit. They did, however, visit the the British embassy in Kiev, and that is President Zelensky. Of course, he paid his respects. Uh, as you can see here, he goes in in full BDUs and trainers. As you can see, I I have to be honest with you. I I've never seen such clean pressed BDUs in in all my days for somebody that's supposedly on the front lines, like a general leading his troops into battle every day. The man's a mess, isn't he? 
<laughs> that, he certainly is. Th- th- what is that supposed to prove? He's got real generals sat around him in, in their full dress uniform. So why is he wearing a uh, battle dress with, with, trainers. with trainers, as you said? Yeah, big white soled. They, they look like they're possibly Adidas. Um, but yeah, what a poser. And that's all he ever was, is a, is a poser. I mean, at least Boris had a different uniform on every few weeks. He did, Every yeah. few days, really. Every few days, yeah. Mr. Um, ben. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't take Boris with him. Of course, he was there, and uh, he had to be there in the UK for the uh, for the services, for the state services. But um, it seems to me like uh, Boris would be over there getting every opportunity he could to get on camera. But Zelensky is such an icon now that uh, <laughs> I was I was telling this to Bruce yesterday. There's an upcoming U.S. defense industry conference, so this is where like all the contractors and everybody get together, and they all make their deals and they show off their new stuff and and all that jazz, right? Well, guess who's going to headline the event and who's going to be the keynote speaker <laughs> at the U.S. Defense Industry Conference this year? It's going to be Volodymyr Zelensky. Well, I mean, he's been given an awful lot of um, of their kit, so so why not? He must he must be an expert by now, you know, to go from the world of uh, homoerotic acting and dancing to military hardware obviously isn't much of a, a step for a man as talented as, as Zelensky. All right, enough of talking about Zelensky. Um, I suppose we could talk a little bit about Charles. I do have some audio uh, of him. Now, this is I want to play something he said back at COP26, right? CNN's running the headline that he is uh, he's king after decades of climate change advocacy. Well, that doesn't make you king, but that's what they make it sound like. He's the he's the king after advocating for this for so many years. He's now going to uh, to be the champion of this. You, you look like you already want to say something. Well, if if um, climate change advocacy, which is quite a hard word to say, was anything remotely useful in qualifying someone to be a monarch, then um, what's her face? The little Scandinavian brat. Thunberg. Greta. Yeah. She'd be at least a princess by now. Surely, surely some of her advocacy so. uh, in so. that area should have, Don't anger should have gone her. some way. Don't anger her. She gets, she gets extremely well, mad. I'd put her on the naughty step. She'd be told to sit on the, on the naughty step and think about what she's done. <laughs> this is Charles back when he was speaking at COP26. Ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. We need trillions 
at its disposal. Not billions, trillions. That's what we need. And it will be far beyond the capacity of what the world's leaders could do. We're going to need a military-style campaign to marshal the strength for this fundamental economic transformation. I can't remember what the phrase it was that was economic transformation. We're, Uh We're not after that economic transformation. What we're after is the world's worst polluters to stop polluting quite so much. And if that means that they need a bit of a, a bit of a help from the developed nations to do so, then that would be one thing. But actually, that's not what's happening, is it? All of the West, the developed world, is being deindustrialized, and all of that industry is being pushed into countries that don't give a tinker's toss about how much pollution they put into the air. So he's talking shite, as as we would say. Here in the United Kingdom, he's talking absolute bollocks. The Queen pretty much stayed out of politics, did she not? More or less. She stayed out of politics on the face of it. But of course, that family, being a very rich family, owning an awful lot of the land in the United Kingdom, has a say. You know, money talks. And behind the scenes, there would have been the little nod, the little wink, the make it look like an accident bond kind of thing that the Queen would have been involved with. Every day, the Queen gets what she used to call boxes, and and they were the dispatches from government uh, of things to be read through, bills that she would have to be, be the final signatory on, and she kept abreast of those things, and now old Big Ears is going to have to do that. Well, uh, I, the reason I say that is uh, my understanding was, is at least on the public stage, she didn't really sway politics. She didn't drive politics a certain direction. Maybe maybe he needs to take a, a, a lesson from her and, uh, you know, quit trying to drive public politics. Well, if we look at the organization that he was talking for or in, in front of the United Nations, the World Economic Forum... Outwardly, they would appear to be quite conservative, but they're not. They are very, 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 very extreme left in their tactics and their ideologies. So the Queen wouldn't tip her hat left or right of the political spectrum. But Charles has already been very public in his affiliations with the World Economic Forum. So it's too late. How how, do you come back from that? How do you backpedal enough? I'm not unless sure you he do. blows the whistle yeah. and unless tells the whole truth and nothing yeah, but yeah. the truth. If he defects, that would be that, that would be something. That would be that would be a fantastic King speech on Christmas Day, three p.m. on the BBC and ITV here in the United Kingdom. If he actually told us everything he knows, that would be wonderful. This is him speaking at the World Economic Forum just this past year. The first clip you heard was from COP26, which was he was uh, that was filled full of WEF and and UN people already, as you said, because they all attend the same conferences. Uh, But this is him speaking at the WEF this year. Have no alternative, because otherwise, unless we take the action necessary and we build uh, again in a greener and more sustainable and more inclusive way, then we will end up having more and more pandemics and more and more disasters from ever ever accelerating global warming and climate change. So this is the one moment, as uh, as you've all been saying, when we have to 
to, 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 to make uh, as much progress as we can. So if we don't do anything, then we're going to have more pandemics because of climate change. Well, for start, that wasn't spoken from the heart, was it? He was no, reading could, that. He was so, reading. You could tell he was like fumbling around trying to catch his place back on the piece of paper. Yeah, it's it's um, it's how I feel sometimes talking to you, um, pair of traitors. You know, you never know quite what to say, not to cause offence, but at the same time still appear statesmanlike. Uh, and that's what he was doing there. As I said the other day, I think it was last week's podcast, I see him... Um, not as a sellout, but as someone who believes they're going to get what they want out of um, out of the World Economic Forum, out of the Great Reset, out of this shift from Western industry to Asian, South American, and African industry, which is that those poorer countries will suddenly become wealthy enough to go green, and that that's what he wants, and. He's a bloody fool for thinking that way because it just won't happen. He's travelled enough. He should know that any money given into Africa immediately gets stolen by the rich and powerful and it never actually reaches where it's supposed to go. The same in South America, you know, the home of the drug cartel and uh, various um, dictatorships. So he should know. But the thing is about the royals is like the Queen thought everywhere smelled of fresh paint because every time she visited anywhere, some poor bastard had been up all night scrubbing it clean and painting every surface before she got there. I mean, I've even had to paint grass green. The grass wasn't green enough uh, at the main gate uh, of, of a military establishment. I remember you saying that. You had to so, actually paint grass green, yeah. That, that's something. Yeah, yeah. Just covering the, the brown patches where the sun had scorched the grass. So the Queen... Bless her. God rest her soul. Obviously would have thought the world smelt of fresh paint. Charles is exactly the same. He still believes that he's getting what he wants out of it. And what he wants is this greener, environmentally friendly world that he has always advocated for. But no, CNN, that is not how you become king. He didn't become king because he was a a climate change advocate. He became king because of an accident of birth. You know, there was one line, I don't know if you heard this or not, there was one line that was said by a commentator on Sky News during the funeral procession here. Now, I I, um, I took especially a, a liking to this, uh, and you'll understand why, because it's quite interesting the way they put it. It's fascinating. It, it is, and, and uh, as, as Lord Bottomley were talking to him, was was referring to this and saying how you know some people will say, well, you know, how come we've got a royal family? It's not very democratic. It, the, the fact of the matter is, it is democratic. Uh, you know, until we have a revolution, it, it's almost uh, it's democratic in, in, in the sense that the British public is laissez-faire about changing it. Yes. We have a royal family until we have a revolution. Well, that sounds familiar. I I'm, I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't quite figure out the last time in history where you had a revolution again. Oh, that's why I'm here. That's why Bruce is here. <laughs> yeah, we're the uh, sorry. We're we're just those filthy traitors that you mentioned earlier, trying to sound statesmanlike. But see, well, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying we it. You're, we did your own this. We we covered this on our very first <laughs> podcast, as I understand it. We did, yeah. and I explained to you pair of treasonous former colony members <laughs> that the people who kicked off that rebellion were actually malcontent 
minor British nobleman. George Washington was part of the aristocracy, but he couldn't get what he wanted in the UK. He was too low, far down the chain. But when he moved over to the United States, all of a sudden, wow, look at this lot. I can rustle up a few few people. We can kick the Redcoats' asses because the rest of the British army is busy fighting the French and stopping the whole of Europe being engulfed by Napoleon. Um, well, not, well, you know you know what I mean. There wasn't Napoleon yeah, at the time. It wasn't Napoleon at the time, but yeah. No, but, but we were busy keeping the French at bay, which we've done for ever since ever since it started, really. So where was I going with that? The royal family in this country doesn't appear democratic. You're quite right. But they are part of the democratic process. Uh, it's just as the same that you've got your, your three parts of, uh, of it. You've got the Senate, the House of Representatives, is it? Yes. And, and the judiciary. Uh, that's the court system or, and the executive, yeah. So, yeah, there's three yeah, branches, yeah. Exactly. So we've got three branches here in the UK as well. We've got the House of Lords, the House of Parliament, and the royal family, the head of state, who is only there as a figurehead. She's got, or she had, and now Charles has, very few functions within our political system, but they are still quite important. I couldn't tell you exactly what they are because it's never seemed like we're in a dictatorship. We, it doesn't feel the United Kingdom until very recently, until the last two and a half years, has not felt like we lived in a dictatorship. Uh, Bruce, your bit, uh, before I get to this next piece, I'm going to give you your, your chance here because this is a good time for you to talk about it. You're not very happy with your governor this evening, are you? No, uh, I found out uh, today that Governor Stitt decided um, he's going to jump on board with the uh, Agenda 2030 nonsense about going green with energy. And uh, basically, he's looking to... I can understand where he's coming from. If this were any other topic in a normal time, uh, you would look at trends to see where investments are going. And, well, you know, investments are going towards wind, solar, batteries, you know, those kind of things. If this were any other time in any other industry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be as disappointed in him in pushing this direction. Uh, in fact, I'd probably be applauding him for pushing this direction in other times. However, because it's um, the green agenda, this um, wind and solar is not going to work. That is not the future, nor is going uh, heavy into lithium ion batteries. He's hoping that with these tax cuts that he's doing, the, you know, the, the, the credits and everything that they're putting forward, billions of dollars of credits that they're uh, offering companies, that it'll invite them in and they will bring their manufacturing here into the state, thus bringing us more jobs, more money, right? I, I, I get what his intention is. The problem is, is he's catering to this electric vehicle, electric batteries. It, he, he's not pushing for true innovation. He's not going nuclear. He's not going into uh, manufacturing true green energy things uh, or incentivizing research into the field, such as uh, we've talked about it before with the hydrogen uh, cars or or even um, the the nuclear diamond batteries. I mean, you could innovate or 
put incentives towards companies doing those innovations here and bringing business here. But instead, he's going to uh, lithium ion and uh, basically he's trying to uh, cater to Panasonic, I believe, is one of the companies that's looking to build a factory here. And it's just I'm I'm disappointed. I, I, I understand your frustration all too well. The electric car thing, that's not going to work in Oklahoma. I mean, you, you guys have like, it's town, nothing for 400 miles, and then town. I'm not trying to be, yes. uh, I'm not trying to be mean here, no, critical you're, or anything you're, like that. Yes. It's, it's literally that. I mean, there's that's nothing, the there's is. not even yeah. phone service on most of these roads. And yeah. you're going to yeah. put electric uh, cars out there with a range of, of what, 100 miles at best? No. I, I don't know. I don't know that he's trying to push for the cars to be used here. He's just pushing to have the manufacturing brought here so that we have more jobs and whatnot. I, I, I get like I said, if this were any other time in any other industry, I understand what he's doing. The problem is, is this is a failed industry. This industry is going to collapse. It's not going to function. It's not going to work. This is this is. Uh, basically an industry that will enslave us or, or the elite will use to enslave us. So I want no part of it. So I'm in the process of writing his uh, administration a letter for what good that will do. Uh, but I'm, I'm in the process of writing one and uh, listing all the research papers and everything that we've accumulated over, the, over time on these batteries and so forth. And just going to be like, what are you, what are you doing? What, why? Why are you going this direction? Why don't we incentivize other things in other directions? Nuclear, as an example, if we would go nuclear here and use the same land that we're using for the wind turbines, we could produce so much power that we could power not only Oklahoma, but then we could sell the electricity to states around us and then ensure that they can also be uh, self-sufficient and independent away from this federal government that's going tyrannical. I, I want I want the states to be at a point now to where when the Fed comes in and they start doing the tyrannical nonsense that they're trying to do with the green agenda, the states can be like, yeah, no, we're not going to we're not going to agree to those things. I, I want to see the farmers be able to bring their product to market without the Fed getting involved. So there, there's there's a lot of things I, I'm uh, kind of incorporating in this letter to see what kind of a response I get, if anything. There's a number of things there that your average environmentalist, air quotes, just doesn't get. The amount of output from a nuclear power station, from a reactor, accounts for the losses. So when you're trying to, on a, on a national grid, send power from one end of the state to the next, the output from a nuclear power station can cope with that. These other forms of electrical generation do not have the oomph to push it that far, which means you've got to practically have that big wind farm right on your doorstep. You've got to have a massive bank of batteries ready to store that charge for it to be used, chopped up. And of course, in the process of uh, of using turning DC stored in a battery into AC to make your products work in, in your houses, your factories, there's losses involved there as well. And that's what they don't get. They just think electricity, you, you flick a switch and power comes out. It's not quite that simple. It is relatively simple because even an, a fool like me can understand it, but they choose not to. 
Well, I, I don't know. I actually, I heard Boris Johnson on the BBC about, uh, I want to say it was around 15 years ago when he was mayor of London. Yeah. And he was asked the question because he was talking about electric cars back then, you know, talking about electric cars 15 years ago, people were like, what, what do you mean electric cars? He says, oh, electric cars are the future. And they were asking him the question, where does electricity come from, Boris? And he said, a plug socket. Yeah. But don't be fooled by that. Boris Johnson is a very intelligent man. He's a very devious, lying piece of crap, but at the same time, he is very intelligent. You know, so many people have been fooled. No, no. See, you guys are looking at this all wrong. You're both seeing this incorrectly. I think that's the problem in all of this. Even even the uh, the, the things that Charles is uh, King Charles is promoting, the things that are being promoted by the World Economic Forum, everything that is involving this climate change agenda, you guys are just, you're stressed out. You seem to me like you're stressed out. Are you guys stressed out? Because of climate change, I believe you are. Now, I could be misdiagnosing. I'm um, not trying to cycle. If you say so, Johnny, yes, yes, I'm okay. completely stressed. Well, out. they have programs for this now. The universities are now going to start offering climate change counseling for stressed out students. Maybe this could help you, right? Are they? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. In an attempt to address the mental health consequences of being constantly warned that the planet is on its last leg, there has been a push from within colleges and universities to provide climate change counseling to the students. Are they group sessions that they would have to be well, group sessions for me to be interested? Well, because what I would want to do is is be there involved in the group discussion and see how many of them I could make cry. That's what I would really enjoy. That's, that would that would actually be very interesting. I'd be honest with you. I'd like to observe that uh, just just on the face of it, just to see how that goes. Members of the University of British Columbia's Sustainability Initiative released a report detailing the relationship between climate change and mental health, offering a quote systemic approach to action in post-secondary education, direct and indirect stressors from climate change, as well as the overarching psychological and psychosocial challenges associated with acknowledging the magnitude of this crisis, which lead to mental health distress and disrupt mental health and well-being, addressing the challenges that the climate crisis posed to mental health and finding ways to live with and adapt the overarching psychological and psychosocial weight of the crisis is needed to build healthy and resilient individuals and communities. Neither of you look impressed. Well, that's, that's marvelous. Neither, but, neither but one of how, you many, how many points is it worth towards your degree if you do that module? Well, you might actually get a degree in that, uh, but this is just to calm you down. It's just to teach you how to cope with the inevitable. Well, That's what it's meant to do. Students normally calm themselves down with narcotics. They normally do, yes. They they kind of anesthetize themselves, yes, to um, you know, the, yeah. well the fact, well they've all been scared to death did, saying that this is going to be the end of the world. So just in, give in them like more years. narcotics. It's simple. Well, that but, could possibly yeah, be. Yeah, it could possibly be. There is an element of truth to what they're saying. That um, the coming generations are, they are overstressed by climate change. Now, it's not because climate change is so horrible and we're seeing the stresses of it. It's that they're pushing the agenda so heavily that these people are, that kids coming up, they're convinced that it's real. So to them, it is real. And they're going in and sterilizing themselves. They're going in and... Uh, agreeing not to have kids. They may not go to the extreme of sterilization because we're overpopulating. It's causing a climate crisis. So I agree that, yeah, there there is a bit of lunacy involved in this. And maybe someone does need some uh, uh, counseling, uh, but it's not because climate change is real. They need to be counseled on what climate change really is. 
and how it really affects but their that's lives. That's not what's going to happen, Bruce, is it? No, no. It's you not. know as well as I do. I've I've designed lots of training in in my lifetime, and when you have a, a thing called an instructor-led discussion, there's an agenda, and yeah. that agenda get stuck to and it's the skill of the instructor for when things go slightly off topic or contrary to the narrative shall we say that he gets it he or she or they or them or it gets it back on track and that's what's going to happen in British Columbia I've been to British Columbia and I've been to Vancouver and and, and I found it an absolutely marvelous place but that was 1986 I imagine it's changed beyond all recognition now under the um, the Castro government. Yes, uh, indeed. Now, just to kind of corroborate what you're both saying here, uh, the report recommended that existing counselors be trained to discuss climate change. Trained, you see this? <laughs> they're going to be trained. Well, uh, yeah, that's Those, that's the, is, the train right the trainer section, the, right which there. is is. You know, you have to do that in, in every new piece of training or or education that you design. You have to train the trainer. And so uh -huh. if you haven't got enough fully, uh, I'll use the word indoctrinated rather than brainwashed, indoctrinated instructors or, or lecturers, you have to create some. So they'll, they'll have to do that first, obviously. Yeah. Now see, And properly just... bet them as well. Exactly. Now, see, this is just to all this is, is just to have a more direct line of communication between the counselors, the students and the climate change activist groups that are already on campus to, to help deal with these problems. You remember from the, the yeah, while we were talking in prep, I said I, I, I wanted to to have a, a self uh, induced kind of theme for tonight. Yeah. And that's what's normal. It's no good asking what's normal anymore because so many parts of society have no idea what's normal and you can't inflict that on other people. You can't inflict your sense of normality on somebody else. It's not fair. So instead, collectively, we have to ask what's acceptable. Is it acceptable to have students' time wasted with such a thing? They do need to be de-stressed and they do need to be told the truth. But we might be jumping the gun and we could be totally way off the mark. But it sounds to me like they are going to be further indoctrinated, have the whole climate change thing further amplified in their minds. And if anything, they should do some form of um, metrics on it and see how many of them wind up on antipsychotic drugs or after. already on them. Um, or already on them. Or already on them, yeah. Well, you, you've got every control element to any experiment, haven't you? So Actually, um, to that, the antipsychotic drugs or just, uh, you know, any antidepressants, uh, anti-whatever, anti-anxiety medicines, some of the circles that I'm interacting with, the people my age and younger, I am baffled by how many people are on those kind of medications. You're kidding me. In, in, in today's world. It, it is abundant. Like, I... I Everywhere you turn, and and the thing is, is in those circles, many of them have the um, uh, rainbow jihad flag, or you know the 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 letters associated therein with their uh, persona, with, with with them, with their character or personhood. They they associate that, and at the same time, they have uh, psychological problems that require medicating, or at least they think requires medicating. 
Well, there's a reason for that. But, there's a reason for that. Th this this phobia, right? Now, this is not the only university they're going to do this on. They're going to do this at the University of Oregon. Big surprise. Also at the University of Michigan. Uh, the University of Michigan has a program that they're setting up to create a group therapy session, right? There you go, Marty. You're, you're going to have to go to Michigan if you want to take part in the group therapy session that will meet for one hour every week for just over three months to see how receiving emotional support can help students overcome their anxiety. The assistant director of the University of Oregon's Office of Sustainability, uh, why don't you just call it the Office of Marxism, argued that without such services available to students, they will feel paralyzed in uncomfortable emotions. Of the counselors that have been chosen to integrate knowledge of climate change into their skill set, some have argued that eco-anxiety is unlike other mental health challenges in this case, because the psychological part is really meant to go hand in hand with climate action. So there's your amplification right there. Yeah. The only way they'll get it off their chests is by taking a hammer and chisel and smashing petrol pumps or gluing themselves to underground carriages. So who have we got here? We have got here. Johnny's I, just, just, be, just because you're saying that, what, what am I doing? I'm just saying, I'm just letting the listener know. Johnny's just called up a piece of video. By oh, I have, yes. Or is it just yeah. a still? No, 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 this is not a still. This is a piece of video. This is a this is a group out of the UK calling themselves vegan activists or vegan rebellion or something like that. You know, the people that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that went into Harrods and they dumped all the milk, the, you know, the leaders of yeah. the expensive milk all over the floor. Well, they've decided they're not going to do that anymore. They don't need to go into the stores anymore. So what they're doing now is they're simply oh, I know what going they're out to the milk delivery trucks themselves and yeah. they're just breaking the uh, the valve stems off of the tires with um uh, with boat cutters and and taking cordless uh, drills and just drilling holes right into the tires flattening them in the uh, uh the parking spaces and in the middle of uh, roadways and things like that so there's your action there's your climate well, action right there there yeah, right there there's some fantastic action of course all of those tires and wheels are going to be replaced that's just created more manufacturing but what I find really, really difficult to believe is that there isn't a security guard watching what's going on there or the drivers who should be beating seven colours of shit out of these activists and stopping them from doing it. That's what's needed, I'm afraid. They need to be pulled up short and given a lesson in what the real world is. But of course, with the climate change anxiety uh, workshops, the only real way that they'll be told that they can get rid of that anxiety is through action. You know, it's no good sitting there being all scared of it. You've got to go and do something about it. So go and do some really, really serious criminal damage and vandalism and you'll be fine. You'll feel fine afterwards. You, you, it'll be cathartic. Trust me. It's not very Christian of me to say this, but I was kind of hoping that one of those tires would have an explosive decompression. Uh, but I was hoping alas. the same. I was thinking, why didn't one of those things just explode? Because, I mean, I've seen those things go well, on like the roadway or something like that. I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty nasty. It, it, yeah, we on a road trip, we had one. Um, we were passing one and uh, the, the tire blew out as we were passing. Things sounded like a shot going on, a shotgun going off right next to you. It, mm -hmm. Even through the car and everything, it was quite scary. Yeah. Marty, you had mentioned the uh, the Castro government. <laughs> That's funny because I actually oh, yes. mentioned I mentioned uh, him yesterday. Uh, this is him criticizing his um, uh, his new political rival. And uh, we'll get to who his new political rival is here in just a second. And careless attacks don't add up to a plan for Canadians. Attacking the institutions 
that make our society fair, safe, and free is not responsible leadership. Telling people they can opt out of inflation by investing their savings in volatile cryptocurrencies is not responsible leadership. By the way, anyone who followed that advice would have seen their life savings destroyed. Fighting against vaccines that saved millions of lives, that's not responsible leadership. Opposing the support and investments that have helped save jobs, businesses, and families during the pandemic, that's not responsible leadership. You're gonna to have to stop. I can't, I'm gonna be sick if I listen to one more word out of that scrotum's mouth. <laughs> See, Marty, that's not responsible leadership. All of these things that he said are provably untrue. I'll tell you what responsible leadership is. It's having your plan of how you're going to fix things. And if you haven't got a plan personally, you ask some very clever people who are around you, your team, your party, even the opposition of the way ahead, and then you implement those plans. What is not good leadership is just standing there and using sound bites to slag off your opposition. That doesn't work for me. That never has. That's what upsets me about the whole party politics situation. Tit for tat, point scoring across the floor. So, no, Justin Castro, shut up. They haven't had the election yet, have they? It's, it's on its way. Well, or, the or party has Paul Revere has has been elected as leader of the Conservative Party, and we will uh, we will see why here in just a minute why he is so feared by Trudeau and this government of his. Uh, but first, let's find out why Paul Revere, according to Trudeau, is so popular. I think we're seeing a rise of various forms of populism based on anger and misinformation and disinformation all around the world in many democracies. I've had many conversations with uh, my fellow leaders at the G7 and in other contexts around uh, the pressures that democracies are facing. Some external pressures, like the pressures put on us by countries like Russia or China or others. Not the world economic Many of them form. internal with people who are frustrated, scared about where the world's going, worried about their place within it. And politicians face a a very simple choice. Do you allay those fears and empower people and show them how we're going to build a better future? Or do you amplify those fears for short-term political gain? It's the kind of conversations we had in the 2015 election, and it looks like it might be the kinds of conversations we're going to have to have again with the Conservatives choosing a path of amplification of anger and misinformation instead of actually figuring out how to respond to the real threat of climate change, how to respond to the real threat of making sure uh, everyone is included in the economic growth we're creating. That's the discussion that not just politicians, but all Canadians are going to be engaged in over the coming years. And I, for one, am very excited about being able to lead those conversations uh, with this great team behind me. Right, Did you I've, notice um, Freeland? I've managed. Did you see how full of herself she was again, flipping herself around and and hopping up and down? Did you? See well, that? I think she's actually um, working Trudeau through some kind of neural link because um, his delivery comes straight from the Will William Schnapp. Hang on, I'll put my teeth back in. William Shatner School of Acting. The speed of his vocal delivery is exactly like Captain Kirk. And I think it's due to the delay between that 
haggard witch that was in the corner of the video thinking what she wants him to say and him actually saying it. That's what's causing that to happen. But the only choice our politicians should have but will be given at the moment is, do you want a blindfold or do you want to see it coming? That is the only choice. The bulk of our body politic should be offered at this time. Let's see exactly why. <laughs> I love it when you're on. Let's see exactly why he is so afraid of his opponent. Listen to this. Increase its oil production by 400,000 barrels a day so that we can fully replace 130,000 barrels of overseas oil from foreign dictatorships we're bringing in. And within five years, we will end dictator oil imports to Canada altogether. <laughs> He will ban all ministers from the government that are involved in the World Economic Forum. Well, there you go. There were certain people in that audience. There was the lady sat there dressed as a Puritan, but with a bright red lipstick on and the long blonde hair. So so she had like, a, you know, a 17th century Puritans black and white outfit on. She didn't look happy at all about what he was saying, but she was the only person in that entire meeting, that, that room full of about 300 people, that wasn't happy about what he was saying. But we have got to be careful. Canada has to be careful. The United Kingdom and the United States, we all have to be careful. Australia, New Zealand, we've been suffering from bad politicians for too long. As a result of suffering from bad politicians, remember that pendulum swing that I was talking about? Yep. We wind up with populists. Now, there's nothing wrong with being popular if you're going to back up what you say and actually implement those policies that you got elected on, unlike Johnson, who didn't. I will say Trump kind of did, but at the same time, he was a strong advocate of the vaccine. And the only answer was the vaccine after he'd been made to look stupid about gargling with bleach or whatever it was he said. You know, you have to be careful. Populist leaders don't always really give you what you actually need. They'll tell you what you want. And if you agree, oh, that's what I want, that's one thing, but it might not be what you actually need. So we do have to be careful um, about who we're ticking the box for at our next set of elections and to be sure that people are not just there for the, the fame and, and, you know, like Trudeau, was he a drama teacher? Isn't, isn't that what his degree dancer. is in? He was a ballet dancer. He was a ballet dancer. Yeah. And and Zelensky, also a dancer, he's, an actor, comedian, and, and, yeah. and voiceover artist. Yeah, for uh, Paddington Bear uh, or something. He was a comedian. Yeah. Well, he dresses fairly funnily, doesn't he? So Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Look at um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, comedian, entertainer. I mean, that, that's what he did. Oh, that's what he does. I mean, that's that's first and foremost. He's obviously he's he does his business ventures and things, but on the side, he's an entertainer. That's what he does. Every time he puts that's, on an event, it's it's bright lights and, yeah. and explosions and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they're they're basically you know you should anyone who 
wants to stand for office should be immediately banned from standing for office. You need someone who who really, really does it reluctantly. It's like when you give me a job, I will do it as quickly as possible because I hate work, you know, so I want to get it over and done with. And we've suffered. We have in the West, we have suffered enormously from bad politicians of late. So just be careful whose box you are ticking. The problem I was I was having this conversation with Ned uh, on the phone earlier today. He will be with us uh, tomorrow or Monday if you're listening to us on um, uh, Apple or Pandora or Spotify. But um, these protests over here, they're, they're getting larger because of the agendas that are now in play. Uh, and as you can see, these are happening every day, every evening, and they're not small. They've got quite an quite a few people out there. But here's the problem. It is about COVID and the COVID restrictions because they're still here to an extent, but there's other issues. They're actually protesting the government's sanctions against Russia. Why are you doing that? The fact that you did business with Russia in the first place is what landed you in this jackpot. The fact that the United States did business deals with China is what landed them in the jackpot. That doesn't mean we need to continue these things. The problem that we're dealing with now is something called a scissor strategy. You've got Russia, and I'm not when I say when I say Russia, I'm not criticizing the Russian people. I'm criticizing their government. Same thing with China. I'm not criticizing the Chinese people. I'm criticizing that that group of gangsters they have in there called the Chinese Communist Party. They're controlling both sides of the agenda. This is what the uh, the people that are they're awake, but they just don't quite get it yet. You have to decouple the European economy from Russia, from the energy dependence on them, explore your own, do what you did before, because if not, you're now held hostage. And the governments are doing the bidding of Russia. Make no mistake, they are not against what Putin is doing, but they have to make it appear that way on the surface. In the meantime, Russia is cutting off the supply of energy to Europe saying, oh, it's the sanctions. No, it's not. But they've got the politicians on their side as well. They've got both sides of the agenda. They're cutting things off. The politicians here are freezing and starving you out. You're blaming the governments when you're actually doing what Russia wants you to do. They want you to turn against your own governments. They want you to turn against the systems that you have here of free democratic rule. They want you to turn against that because they want you to demand something new that they will control from afar. How is that any different from what Klaus Schwab and company want to do? You notice that Putin and Xi and and these other BRICS nations, they've set up something called the Eastern Economic Forum. Looks awful familiar. Sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Huh. See, this is the problem. You've got this type of agenda that's now being played on unsuspecting people that are aware that something is not right. I'm not talking about the ones that are asleep that are still wearing a mask. I'm, I'm still seeing people walking around wearing masks. It's, it's insane. It's insane. But this is now becomes the new problem. And you say that it has been bad government decisions. This is another one. The governments are being played just like the populations that are uniting against the governments are now being played too. It's a scissor strategy. They have both sides and they close it up. Yeah, we're being got at from every side. We're, we've been encircled, haven't we? And we're being attacked by our own government, by our own people, the ones that are still asleep and kind of allowing this government or your government or any government to continue to enforce any of these measures. And and they will come back. They, they're, they're just waiting for the next excuse to, to tighten the grip. Um, I've used the analogy before. It's like being wrapped around by uh, a python, by a boa constrictor. Every time you breathe out, it wraps a little tighter. You know, when you go, oh, that's a relief. 
oh, it's gone tighter. And that's how they're getting to us. So scissors eventually come together and they, they cut you clean in half. And if that's what they're they're aiming at, then they're almost there. Again, what's normal? Normal levels of energy bills for families, for businesses, are whatever the, the market decides. So that normality, you then have to ask what is acceptable? What are we earning? What are we producing? Are we selling enough? Can we afford that? What portion of our income is that bill going to be? And of course, they're using climate change uh, and the climate inverted commas crisis to make people feel guilty, to make everyone feel guilty enough to pay the ridiculous prices that they are charging for energy. And of course, when you've got a falsely created shortage of energy, it makes it even more expensive. It's, as you said, it's a wealth transfer. They're they're basically taking your livelihood, um, your wealth, your possessions, and, and um, it's that part has begun taking your things because as you start to default, um, you know, you're, you're not able to pay off your mortgage or whatever. Well, you're going to lose your house. It's going to get foreclosed upon as the prices for energy, as the prices for housing, as the interest rates continue to climb, that the expenses for food keep going up, gas prices, though they've been going down a bit, they should be going down even faster and further, uh, but they're not. It's as you said, there's a bit of a relief and people are kind of like, well, gas prices are going down a little bit. You know, it's they're going to double down again and they're going to get more pricey. This is about, again, this Agenda 2030, this great reset. You'll own nothing and be happy about it. It fits right in with that, unfortunately. And the way that they will get us to own nothing and be happy about it is to have put us all into so much debt that when they take that debt away but also with it, our property will be relieved because we've no longer got that problem of financing that debt each month, each week, each year, however, whatever kind of repayment plan you're on. So if I gave any advice to anyone is don't take any debt on on board. If you can't afford it, if you really can't afford it uh, and you don't actually need it, don't have it. Don't have that brand new mobile phone that's on a plan. Don't have that brand new electric car that you've been coerced and guilted into thinking you must buy. Don't have those panels fitted to your house because they won't really save you any amount of uh, of money because the, the cost of having the, the, the solar panels takes several years to recoup anything. You know, here in the UK... Corner shops, the little um, village shop or the, the 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 shop on every sort of strip mall uh, in, in housing estates used to be run by, and this is, you, you'll see that I'm not being racist here, but they used to be run by white British people. They're now run by Asian British people. And why? Because they've got a much more successful business plan. They don't borrow money to buy the business from a bank they get it from their families their families club together and they buy the business from other businesses from the income from other businesses they then have their family working in that business so wages are low until it becomes successful and then they they may start to employ other people or actually start paying themselves a wage 
So that way they've got no one breathing down their neck for money each month, for repayments on a loan, uh, on their business loan, on their, their property loan. It's a much, much better model. And that's what they're trying to remove by making you reliant on government handouts, making you be reliant on loans from banks. They are removing that family support, that structure that you've got to rely on, that, that sort of network. And so that when they turn the tap off and no more money's coming in and then you've still got to pay out, that's when they'll take the, those businesses, they'll take that property and you will own nothing and be happy for a very short space of time until you realize you've lost everything. In support of what you were saying there about the um, Asian businesses and whatnot, that's a trend that follows here as well. Um, the local uh, Asian uh, Asian food market or uh, the Asian food restaurants, you know, those kind of uh, here, we don't have much in the, in the way of Asian uh, stores and that kind of thing run by Asians. But uh, as far as food and uh, whatnot, there's, there's a lot. It's exactly as you said. It's usually the family that buys up the business and runs the business. Uh, you go in there, it's all people that are either immigrated here uh, directly, you know, first generation, uh, or it's their kids. And they're all working in the facility themselves. It's all family. Uh, so yeah, exactly as you said. Well, I grew up in a restaurant uh, owned by my stepfather. And I started work at the age of 11, which is why I look so old now. Um, and I worked right the way through the weekend, all the way through summer holidays and school, you know, school holidays. I also, so that I could have some money for myself, I had a paper round. Now, you imagine working um, at the age of 12, 13 until 1.30 in the morning, then getting up at five o'clock to go and do a paper round, to go and deliver some papers. I fell asleep whilst riding my bike once and went straight into a lamppost. I had a lump on the on the front of my head the size uh, of an Easter egg. It it's what you do. I mean, I don't I don't begrudge working for my family that way because that restaurant um was feeding, you know, our family. It it, it was it was there as a business and I I learned a lot but like I say, it did age me rather when you start work that young. But that's that's what the mom and pop business is all about. It's about doing the best you can with what you've got and not having to be up to your eyeballs in debt to some faceless banker. Let's take a look at why we're supposed to change everything. Why are we supposed to change our entire civilization? Why are we supposed to change our lifestyles? Why are we supposed to change our entire way of life? Because of too much CO2 in the atmosphere. You ask any of these activists, I'm doing the air quotes, activists, you ask any of these activists and these these older overgrown children you have at these universities uh, and actually out of the universities, the ones that are uh, counseling them in these universities in climate activism. If you ask any of them sensible common sense things, uh, if you ask any of them common sense questions about how much CO2 is in the atmosphere, how much of that percentage is actually caused by man? And how much of that percentage is actually caused by your country, because countries are being blamed here? And how much of that percentage is actually being caused by you in that country by your actions? You ask them these questions. I mean, these are all questions that deserve answers, because if we're expected to change all of our lives, our entire way of living, our entire economy, 
which is what we started with tonight, with King Charles talking about how we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of a, 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 a whatever, a transition economic whatever he talks about. If you ask just the most basic common sense questions, can they even answer them? This is a panel discussion that took place in Australia. And on this panel is a, a climate activist from uh, one of the organizations down there. And sitting next to them is a Sky News Australia host named, I believe his name is Alan Jones. I could be mistaken. I'm, I'm sorry. Is it Alan Jones? Okay, Alan Jones. This is the guy that we played a clip of a few weeks ago talking about actually just how much waste, how many hundreds of millions of tons of waste we now have because of solar panels, lithium-ion batteries, electric cars, wind turbines, and all the rest of it. But he's asking simple questions that we need answers to. And let's see if they can answer them. Oh when I asked... Well, just a moment, Alice, you, you've been speaking for most of the night. When I... When, when I... When I asked Tanya Plibersek... We'll fact-check that one for you. Yes. When I asked Tanya Plibersek, was the Deputy Leader of the Labor Party and the potential Deputy Prime Minister, was carbon dioxide the big issue in relation to climate change? And she said yes. I then said, well, that being the case, what percentage of the atmosphere is made up of carbon dioxide? And she said, I don't know. And I said, hang on, you don't know what percentage of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide, and yet you're prepared to stand the economy on its head to address a problem, the detail of which you don't know. So when I then explained that the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, Alice, is how much? Reserve. Alice? How much of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? To answer Alice? the question, Scott Morrison has said he believes in climate much? change Alice, and that much? he wants to do something about Alice, it. Alice, how much carbon dioxide is the problem? How much carbon dioxide is there in the atmosphere? I'm not a scientist. I don't oh. know. I'm a well, hang on. If you're going to argue the case, you ought to know. It's 0.04 of a percent. And of that 0.04 of a percent, human beings around the world create 3 percent. And of that 3 percent, Australia creates 1.3 percent. So for the 1.3 percent of 3 percent of 0.04 percent, we then decide to have a national economic suicide. Alan, now, Alan, you're Alan, going Alan I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you to have made that point. We're expected to change our entire human civilization because of that. This, I, I was talking with my cousin about conversations and discussion, and the only time any of it has any worth is where you try to look at the other person's perspective. And right the way through that piece of video, you could see the disrespect, the dismissiveness of the activist, not a scientist, who was sat next to um, the, you know, the guy from Sky News who was asking the question. And so the moment you see someone behaving like that to an honest question, how much of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide you have to forget about that conversation you have to move on that that there will be people at home watching that who are completely brainwashed by all of the information that they're getting from the narrative about climate change who will just find that reinforcing so that poor guy although he thinks he's doing what he needs to do is actually failing he's failing in what he needs to do because well, he's surrounded on all sides no point. they they probably picked well, him just is. to be a voice of dissent up there from a pre-picked uh, group of people on that panel well you all you got to do is look at the you know the, the uk equivalent of question time uh not yeah the, the you know the bbc program question time uh -huh. they'll have one person on there who's speaking against the narrative and four other panelists 
who are for the narrative uh, of varying degrees. Yeah, same thing. And it just turns into a gang fight with one person being in a gang of one being ganged up by four others. And so it 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 just makes it makes it a joke and it reinforces the narrative. They should know if if they're going to be that Milton. vocal about it and active they should know what those percentages are and 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 how it's made up you know um we live in a post truth reality or a post fact um economy if you will now they don't care anymore uh you you can present all the data all the facts all the statistics all the research that you want and have it backed by um like you could have a majority of the, the the scientific community agreeing with this it doesn't matter it doesn't fit their narrative their narrative is uh, that is the the pinnacle the peak of it you're you're not going to be able to get through that unfortunately you 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 can present them with all the all the data you want but if it doesn't fit their narrative it doesn't fit at, at as you said the the brainwashing or the indoctrination it doesn't matter. It 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 just goes in one ear and out the other. Unfortunately, um, I, I I've witnessed this directly. Um, you you present data and facts to people. Uh, COVID nineteen. That's a great one. Uh, you present data on masks and you present data on like the actual percentages and everything uh, on how protective masks are. They don't care. They don't care. It, it, it's they don't care that the masks don't work. They don't. It, it's it's all about the narrative, the narrative and the agenda. It has nothing to do with facts or science. I would I would really happily engage in a conversation with someone about it who wanted to put you know their mask wearing, jab taking point of view forward, but they don't want to have the conversation with someone like us. They don't want to have that conversation, so they will use whatever demeaning, disrespectful, dismissive tactic they can find. I started this by saying you have to listen to somebody else's point of view. Well, the truth is, as you listen to that point of view, you get to see the holes in in their argument. And when you start to pick at those holes, they should be grateful. (laughs) I should be grateful if someone manages to tell me I'm wrong. I should be grateful for being put right. But of course, people uh, have their own ideas about well some people can take criticism better than others let's just put it that way that is true and having a look at this individual that you would want to sit down and have a conversation with i mean i I, like this is virtue signaling to its highest degree so i thought that you would want to try and have a conversation about change with this individual here so so for the benefit of the listener you've got a quite tall probably not that old i'd probably put him at about 23 24 slightly underdressed white man with badly spelt tattoos in a black lives matter sleeveless t-shirt wearing a mask um and he's got headphones on and a baseball cap at a, bus, the, uh, at a bus shelter yeah don't don't forget but about the other the, uh, the hammer and sickle tattoo he's got right there the communism tattoo oh yeah he's yeah he's got, he's and got the sandals don't forget got, the sandals yeah, the exactly sandals. at least he's not wearing socks with those sandals that should be a capital yeah, offense true. yeah but the first thing i noticed about him was the ponytail he's got this horrible stringy ponytail uh running down the back of his his rather thick neck under every ponytail, there's a horse's ass. Simple as that. Unfortunately, you made we... me be mean again. Now <laughs> you made me be mean. I didn't want to be mean. 
but I'm, well, you I, said, I, I can't help you. You, I'm said, a bitch. you said you wanted to, <laughs> you said you wanted to have a conversation with a woke person. This is as woke as I could find today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. You 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 were being more gracious than I would have because I was gonna guess he was probably fifty. I was no yeah, no I was no guess, he's, I was gonna he's, guess fifty. He's, yeah. he's no, I don't think he's fifty. Uh, I just think he's by quite the neck. Young. Yeah, just yeah. You Maybe some, I should get in a bit closer. Yeah, you got oh, yeah. some. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you got some neck wrinkles and stuff going on there. But anyway, um, unfortunately, gentlemen, uh, we're, we are actually over on time, so we are going to have to go. But it's been a fascinating conversation as always. Marty, we will see you next week. Yes? Yes. Yes, you will. Fantastic. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. Do you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure this evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.